fucking deep. I like it. These guys are jerks. Fucking deep. Bless you, boys. Young men expressing themselves. Unbelievable. Fucking deep. Put it in deep. How do you plan to celebrate tonight? The boy with the boy. Obviously, it's going to be a fun night, and uh, <laughs> you know, uh, try not to throw up. Well, <laughs> all right, good luck with that, and congratulations. Thank you. You know, getting pucks deep, bring the puck deep, put pucks in deep, just put the puck deep, getting pucks out, getting pucks deep, pucks in deep, pucks in deep, pucks deep, pucks deep, keep getting pucks deep. Mike Ross here, public address announcer for the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're listening to the Pucks in Deep podcast with Adam Lesko and Josh Coleman. What's going on, everybody? Pucks in Deep podcast, episode 112. We're back. Let's go. Is there a three-time Stanley Cup champion that you love more than Philip Kessel? Not a single one. <laughs> I, not, I forgot he was on the team until they mentioned it on the broadcast because he'd been scratched most of the playoffs, eh? Yeah, he played, um, I think, four four games. I was curious if he was actually going to get geared up and come out. What? Okay, I'm glad you pointed that out. I would. Oh, I absolutely would. I could just picture him, though, like, you know, wandering out in his gear with his hair all whack. and I, I watched the majority of the celebration. He did, didn't he? Oh, yeah, full gear. Yeah, 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 yeah. full gear. Um, <clears throat> nothing beats Scotty Bowman coming out with the skates on back in the day, oh, if you yeah. remember. He took, oh, a tour, yeah. took a tour with the mug. So, yes, Las Vegas Golden Knights. They are the 2023 Stanley Cup champions after – Years and years of misery. Pain and suffering. Lots of pain and suffering out there in Vegas for their rabid diehard fans, and they finally turned the corner. Good for them. Nothing was better, uh, like kind of viral posting-wise, during the cup final than that guy who was standing outside the arena with the sign that said, I've waited six long years for this. (laughs) Like, this guy is just – because that works on, like, I don't know, the majority of the teams and fan bases in in the rest of the NHL. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, how did you feel about it? I'll, I'll throw it to you before I let you know. Like, Honestly, how did you feel about it? Like, just mad respect. The way they built that team, they built that team from nothing. Literally nothing. Right. right. Now, right? The, they, the way they acquired guys and then also the uh, the subsequent moves that they made, all the aggressive moves. Aggressive, like, yeah. It's, it's the Stone trade. It's the Eichel trade. It's the Petrangelo signing. All those moves, those guys were played massive roles, like, Mark Stone, even dating back to his Senators days, he played a big part in that kind of Cinderella run they had. Yep. And I remember watching him, and, and this is when he would kind of really round it out into his game, I think, um, and seeing him occasionally when we uh, would go to games in Ottawa. I'm like, this guy's a guy you win with. Oh, for sure. Like a 200-foot Not a guy that you want to lose. <laughs> and I was reminded, I didn't know this, that he was just like a sixth-round pick. I, I couldn't get over that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, Vegas... You, like you said, you got to give them credit. I, I give them credit more for their aggressive nature, the pursuit of greatness. You know, right. ignoring injury concerns with guys like Stone, guys like Eichel that you that you alluded to. Well, big props to the doctor. Apparently, the same doctor who worked on uh, Jack Eichel's neck uh, fusion surgery worked on Mark Stone's back. Apparently, oh, interesting. So this guy should be getting a ring in the mail. Yeah, no doubt. So when I say I give them more credit for the aggressiveness, that's not a slight necessarily to 
you know, how they built the team. I, I do I do have some reservations though about like how it came to be and the expansion draft and the expansion draft <clears throat> this time around was much more favorable, let's say, for the expansion team, the Vegas Golden Knights, than previous expansion yes. drafts. Previous expansion drafts throughout the history of the NHL led for no success, no chance of immediate success mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, I think this one was better in terms of allowing a team to be more competitive mm-hmm. earlier. However, that being said, you know, it was a little bit of it was a little Mickey Mouse. Do you, am I yeah. wrong there? Well, I think that first year that they made the cup final, like that team overall looking back was not that good. It massively overachieved, right? Right. Like it was a good team. I think you could say it's a competitive team, you know, in and around that but contender. middle of the pack. Yeah. They weren't a contender, but, and I'm glad they didn't take that and go, okay. And, and they didn't get overcommitted on guys or anything. They went, no, how do we, how do we get there? Like we kind of saw what it took and then saw you know a superior team on the other side, right? And then said, "All right, we gotta keep building here, keep going." Um, it's interesting that they had six guys who remained from the original roster. Yeah. Something else I forgot, um, when I was reminded when Alec Martinez scored in the uh, in the winning game, um, that he scored that winning goal for LA, for LA in yeah. overtime all That's those right. years ago against the Rangers. I saw an interesting uh, quote from him just talking about what they were going to do after. He's like, oh, it should be a really good time, but uh, it was a lot different the first time. He's like, I was young, single, and so were most of the boys. Yeah. He's like, so this time I was kind of feeling like a proud dad, you know, around all the the first-timers, as he called his teammates there. Man, that party must have been pretty uh, (laughs) lucrative, I guess you could call it, a a desirable Stanley Cup party uh, in Vegas. Like, wouldn't you want – tickets to that game like I looked at them just for shits basically I think yeah. they were all going for a minimum of like 1300 bucks yeah I saw that too yeah minimum. so most teams I think it was Tampa when they won last time they went right to Vegas like that night yeah so it's it's interesting that they're you know they wanted it at home they're, they're right already there. there so I'm gonna throw some shade at the Vegas fans though here okay for a moment why the fuck did everyone start throwing shit on the ice when they won because if you noticed it inhibited their lapping around with the cup Nobody wanted to skate around too much because there's fucking hazards all over the ice. Right. And I'm thinking, like, while all the shit's going on, like, why didn't somebody come with the shovel crew come out and clean out the ice? Because, like, Stone kind of took her for a lap after a while, but I noticed when everyone was getting their cup, they're kind of just doing a little woo, and they're all watching out, trying not to trying to pull an Obey Kubel there and dent the shit out of the cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or uh, what was that guy's name? Mark Donnelly, oh. the the anthem singer for the Canucks. Mm. Remember when he tripped over? Hitting the, the carpet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was amazing. That's a classic. Um, yeah, you're right about that because between, between all the you know shrapnel laying on the ice and the photographers and stuff, mm. they literally had – what like from me to you and then back again yeah. it was just like this little tiny tour uh yeah. with the stanley cup but yeah um I, I think you're right about that i didn't know where you were going when you mentioned you were going to throw some shade at them but <laughs> i think that's fair i mean what why you, like why they didn't know what to do they were just like ah but why are you throwing things shit. on the ice ever like people uh, yes, are mad correct. they throw them on the ice like in I, most cases people are pissed off we've seen it a few times this year they right. throw shit on the ice so i was weird that 
they were throwing like they it looks like a bunch of people a lot of these pink flamingos they were throwing yeah. on the ice yeah yeah pink 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 flamingos yeah yeah like, um, somebody's gonna break their face and lose all their jibs with the cup in their hands so we heard that quote uh, in the intro of Phil Kessel just trying not to throw up gotta wonder uh, if he was able to accomplish that goal I wonder um, I do know that he had. Hot dogs in the cup again. Of course. As, as confirmed by Jack And he was uh, still Jack throwing Eichel. shade at the Toronto media yes. in his interview as well. I'm surprised you didn't go with that quote where he said, oh, yeah, you remember when you guys in Toronto said I couldn't win? Remember that, eh? Yeah. And then he just, like, skates away. Now I've got three. Now I've got three. Yeah, now I've got three. How about that or something? Oh, man. Just – it's still like I guess because it was a Canadian like Sportsnet reporter yeah, interviewing yeah, yeah. him, right? So he's like, oh, I remember you guys. But but you <laughs> see, when I when I look at that though, like I don't think that that's sh- that's shade specifically thrown at the media. That has nothing to do with the fans because I think Phil right, himself, it's less about the Toronto market, more to do yeah, with the Toronto media. I think or Phil, Canadian media. I think Phil himself would know, would would understand and probably appreciate that. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a Leaf fan that doesn't love Castle. Like I've got his jersey on the wall still. Look at me, eh? I still haven't tore that, down all my shit. I think that question like ten years ago, the answer has changed for people. Maybe like people softened softened on him. You mean I mean, like the people that didn't like him back then. Well, I think the narrative back then was like, "Oh, Soft. you can't win with this guy. He's, sure. he's a team cancer, uncoachable." Blah blah blah. Festchuk. Yeah, Fest this guy's such yeah, an idiot. Exactly, all that shit. <laughs> and then he goes to Pittsburgh and just like says, "Kiss my ass," and almost wins a con Smythe. Should have won a con Smythe. Yeah, a couple cups there. He got robbed there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, a pretty entertaining Cup final considering Tampa uh, ap- or sorry Tampa Vegas absolutely railroaded. Florida, by all accounts. But what I really can't get over, some of the massive hits in that series. Um, Eichel getting his bucket popped and oh, then yeah. coming back and scoring a big goal. And then Matthew Kachuk getting, like, that was a hit of the playoffs. He got absolutely destroyed and uh, comes back, ties the game, and then assists on the OT winner. Yeah. What a moment. I'm thinking, like, this is that built-for-the-playoffs type thing. And, of course, all the attention was on Matthew Kachuk kind of going through. But then we find out he had a broken sternum. Broken and sternum. Didn't play, and they were t- acting as a game time decision. Like, how did he even come back in that game and play? I don't like what I. I would love to hear like an in depth explanation of like his thoughts and the team's like thoughts. Here's what we're gonna do. Consulting. You know, consulting. Like he was talking about <clears throat> his brother helping him get out of bed, and um, uh, you know, teammates helping him get his gear on and stuff. Yeah. Like, to see if you can what if you can't get dressed like how the how are you gonna play? How are you gonna play? So yeah. like that. I don't know. That stuff blows my mind, and I know we always like. I don't know. Um, create heroes in that respect. We yep. talk about, well, this guy played like this. And Such a warrior. It, it is an odd thing to in, encourage or like, um, I don't know, just uh, talk about in such a positive light. Yeah, yeah. You like know, promotion. Putting, of, putting the, their careers on the line. Yeah, promotion right? of, you know, playing injured to the point where, like you just said, you could be putting your your career on the line. A broken sternum is pretty intense, man. And, um, yeah, I mean, just to be able to come back in that, in that same game, like you said, I'd be, I'd love to be a fly on the wall uh, for those yeah. conversations, shoot you up with some cortisone, give you some painkillers and, and, and get right back out there. It was reminiscent of uh, Paul Correa off the floor and on the board. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. And he got absolutely trucked. Like that hit was massive. Um, 
Interesting thing about Vegas, too, I think uh, some of the value plays they got, like uh, former Maple Leaf Michael Amadio, if you can even remember that guy. Okay. But league minimum contract. Leaf legend. Scored a ton of points for him, ton of nice goals, clutch goals for them in that uh, in that playoff run. It looked like everything went right for Vegas. It's like we were looking at the Eastern Conference for Destiny's team. Is it Boston? Like, is it Carolina? But – Turns out it's Vegas who just trounced their way to the Stanley Cup. Like they looked like they peaked. They got the goaltending, and of course, shout out Aiden Hill. I think has posted the best save percentage of any goalie who's played more than five games in history. Yeah, um, well, no, somewhere was... like a nine twenty, I think overall. Yeah, yeah, which is ridiculous and numbers I know... for a fifth string goaltender. I know. I saw one graphic that people were kind of scoffing at because oh, like way to cherry pick the amount of games, like minimum fifteen games played in the playoffs, right. and you had like like you said a nine thirty or something like that. Um, it was pretty impressive. I mean, for them to use the amount of goalies that they did use throughout the course of the season and the playoffs. It's just a testament, though, to the team, mm-hmm. like the team defense. It didn't matter if you had your number one playing. Leonard was out injury uh, concerns. You know, you went through a, a bunch of different guys. and they got ended, good goaltending of all of them. Ended up with Aiden Hill being the guy. Now, he wasn't <laughs> super tested uh, in the finals. Admittedly, Lesko, I didn't watch a ton of the finals. Um, I didn't watch a ton of hockey from the moment the Leafs were – Eliminated, but as is tradition. As is tradition. I do have to uh, pat myself on the back slightly right now as a Leaf fan because, as you're seeing here in the garage, everything is as it was, you know, from the first round when you were here <laughs> watching games with me. Um, nothing's changed. I've left it all up. Normally, when they lose, I can't. Tear it down fast the enough. The bins are open with the lids off during the elimination game. Yeah, and yeah, like third period, couple minutes to go, yeah, whatever. Get it is. the shit out of my face. Everything <laughs> is fucking gone. So I think that is a testament to, you know, not not to say that the first round victory was was all that I needed, but but, <laughs> but you're feeling okay. I'm feeling okay. Oh yeah. Um, okay. And, and before we switch it over and and you know start talking about the Leafs necessarily, because I did want to ask you a quick question about them. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been on air here now almost 15 minutes. We haven't even um, introduced our. Our, our guest, well, not introduced, we're going to be talking to him shortly. Uh, very exciting guest today, Jason York, uh, former NHLer, former Spangler Cup Team Canada member. I'm excited to talk okay. to him about that as well. He played in the Spangler Cup in okay. 05, uh, so I'm looking forward to talking to him about that. Um, he's got he's got a lot of stories, man, and I, I think we're going to have a great chat with uh, Jason York. Very topical as well, as he's Ottawa-based and you know probably has his finger on the pulse in terms of the sale of the team um, the future of the team and, and how all of that went down. So looking forward to chatting with Mr. York in probably about 10, 15 minutes. But uh, before we get there, just this afternoon before you arrived, I was tuning into Overdrive and they had Darren Drager on the show. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and the topic of conversation was interesting and I wanted to throw it to you as well because I've been thinking this myself. Um, since the news broke about Dubis and Trey Living, we have recorded a show since then. Yes. But I'm not sure if we got into this topic, and I wanted to ask you It was you just before feel. Dubas got hired, I think, too, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, in Pittsburgh? Yes. Yeah, it was. So I, I wanted to throw this to you because I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. Um, Drager, uh, well, it was Brian Hayes on the show. He was saying that if the Leafs and Tree Living return with the core four forwards, Morgan Riley and Sheldon Keefe, so six members of the team, five players and one coach. If those six members of the team are on the team when the puck drops, 
as a fan, are you upset about that? I don't think I'm upset, but I the only reason why I think anyone would be upset is because you've really seen enough and you want change. And I think a lot of people are there. Of course. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wavering on that. You know, I'm more open, I'd say, to breaking that group up than anything. I thought it was interesting when they when True Living said, you know, I want to make it more than the core four. Or 23 guys. Talk, talking about the whole team. But I think we, we've talked about this. This has been a common theme with the, but with the Maple Leafs for years now about lacking an identity. And I think surrounding everyone with mercenaries creates this transient identity of sorts where the team differs so much from year to year. So maybe perhaps look for them to actually get some guys that they like on some term, not so many one-year contracts. I'm thinking, I think they're really concentrating hard about how they build around this group and start making more of a, making it more of a group, making it more about uh, guys, you know, not the same guys who've been there. Yeah. If you look over the time that I think Dubas has been there, he hasn't given anybody more than a four-year deal. That's not one of those guys. Right. Okay. And I think the only exceptions like term, you think year after year, he's given one year deals, two year deals if he has to, right? We're just in and out, in and out. More, Revol- revolving door right now. More turnover. Right. A lot of turnover. So I wonder if that's an area that they're looking at focusing on and just trying to establish more of like, no, you're here, you're a leaf for, for a some while. time. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it's, you know, the important thing about that is who you choose to invest your term in because. Obviously, the, I think the reason why Dubis aired that way was to minimize risk. Yes, and be able to say we're not, we're not locked in. We're not stuck with this contract. Not to say that any player with a longer-term mm-hmm. contract is, is a burden. Because I don't but, think they signed really any bad contracts. <clears throat> you could argue some overpays, but I don't think he got hampered. It's not one of those, like, we, are we going to buy this guy out type scenarios. See, and, and for me, like, what I, what I think, I, I agree with what Brian Hayes was saying today which is the majority of the fan base will, for lack of a better term, check out. Right. And, and not, not in the sense that like, oh, I'm done being a Leaf fan. I'm selling my jerseys. I'm going to burn them. But more like, okay, you know, I, I, I guess. See what happens. I guess, you know, and we'll wait till April. It won't be as exciting. And we'll see what happens in April. Cause, cause that, and I think that's just a fact of... You know, any year, it's like when there's a big move in the offseason, you're more drawn in, right? Of course, of course. And for me, it's not an offseason move, but I was saying this to some of my buddies recently. For me right now, if there are no substantial roster changes, there are going to be roster changes, okay? We know that. Mm-hmm. Bottom six, bottom why four. why should we expect it whatever. to be different, though, if there isn't any? Yeah, that's fair, Lesko, and mm-hmm. I think we've said that for six and years. And that's disengaging. <laughs> that's disengaging for the fans, right? We've it's said like, that for right, six guess, years. Guess we're running it back, and by all accounts, it sounds like the approach that they're likely going to take, and that sounds like that's coming from higher up the than, than true living. The so. shanty plan. So my 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 concern is, or not my concern. Sorry, what what was I going to say? Oh, my draw for this season that I've said to some of my buddies recently is if there are no significant roster changes. And by significant, I mean one of those core players out and another big name may be in. If nothing major changes, the only reason that I'm going to sit down and throw on a game in January or November or March is Matthew Nyes. That's it. Right. That's it. Because I love the guy. I've loved him since 
I guess the off season last year when right. we were waiting for him to make a decision: or, Am I going to go pro, or am I going to go back to the Gophers? He's definitely one of the more interesting stories coming into next season. Is to see if he can build off the you know small successful stint he did have with the Leafs. Yeah, it was a very small sample size, but you know what I'm really loving about this? I've, I read uh, an article recently. I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, probably not super recent, but um, he's training on the ice and he's hanging out on the daily. With Austin Matthews, very interesting in Arizona. I mean, they're two they're they're two Arizona chums, and they're working together. And you know, you and I joked, or I know I did at least on the show previously, that I kind of liken him to a mini Matthews. He he he's like a he's like a mini Matthews to me. Not in the sense that he plays the exact same way or anything, but he has he has similarities. Right. He celebrates his goals very similar. I would just say in the, in the size and the physical presence that he has on the ice, um, he and he might even be able to argue that he uses his size more effectively than Matthews in some situations. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair point. In I terms of like puck protection, he is a looking at him being much similar type player. It's definitely you know, if you're going to latch on to anybody and you have the opportunity to do so. Well, that's why what not, I, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And and when we used to look at like you know um, superstars from other teams. And and my my mind kind of goes right to Sidney Crosby because Sidney Crosby was the epitome of dedication to your craft. Right. And you know, following the off season, there was Crosby in the weight room the next day. Like right. he didn't waste any time going to Italy or Cuba or Spain or whatever. What if he's just hanging out with Matthews and they're just chasing girls and golfing? Well, I mean, maybe <laughs> I'm sure they're doing Living that. that Arizona life. I'm sure they're probably doing that on the side as well. But the article that I read and he's I he's having a well balanced diet this summer. <laughs> yeah, and I also um, followed the um, or I watched the interview on the Leafs Nation with friends of the show, Nick Alberga and Jay Rosehill, um, where they interviewed Matthew Nyes, and he was the one saying, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging out with Austin. Uh, we're at the rink almost every day, and he was saying that Austin is, is at the rink incredibly early, and he's there incredibly late. So like, as a Leaf fan, assuming things work out well with Matthews contract-wise, it's very exciting to me to know that a guy that is – superior talent like he is um, dedication to his craft dedication to getting better and then also being able to kind of you know what am I trying to say like push his his knowledge and his experience yeah. on the younger uh, the younger generation uh, a guy like Matthew Nyes that's locked up for us well, as a restricted all, free agent for a couple more years very exciting you might call it almost captain like behavior yeah yeah um, I want to snap back to the cup finals because I, I forgot to ask you about this, but the Conn Smythe trophy for once, I didn't feel like it was like a dead ringer obvious. Oh, for so, sure. But I thought if there was one guy who stuck his head out above, it was definitely Marsh. So he, he's phenomenal player flies under the radar for sure. But this playoffs was like a, like if you didn't know, now, you know, type scenario, oh, because was he was unbelievable coming out party for sure. Right. And I've, uh, cause I, he was my vote for sure. And so it was nice to see him get it because I thought maybe people would draw to Eichel for the star power and the story, right. The comeback story of yeah. Eichel, so to speak. I thought it was going to be Hill personally. Oh, yeah. That would have well, been something too. My choice, uh, if it were up to me was between Hill and March. So again, I can't stress enough. I didn't really pay very close attention to the, Stanley Cup final, so it's not like my vote would have been incredibly educated. Um, but 
you know, based on the stories and the highlights and what I did see from the cup final, I would have I would have flipped a coin, to be honest, between Marchessault and, and Hill. Right. And I just think that, like, the goaltender, the winning goaltender is – it can never be a bad option. Can it right. ever be a bad option? Yeah, you feel like they're always probably close in the ballots, yeah. you know? Um, the Bobrovsky thing was interesting, too, which is with him being, like, a con Smythe favorite going in, and he, his game went off the rails a little bit. He wasn't uh, – he looked tired, put it that way, towards the towards the uh, finals. Well, anyway. and from all accounts, from what I read in the reports, and and again saw in the highlights, and you know saw through player and coach interviews, like Vegas did an incredible job of getting in his way. Yeah, like he was. He, there were times where he was doing that classic thing where he was just kind of like hoping. Yeah, and then it went in. Couldn't see the puck. Couldn't couldn't see it at all. And that's how we Toronto beat Tampa. Correct. with their. Uh, $10 million goalie and Andre Vasilevsky. Like, yeah, he didn't have the greatest playoff of all time. But you know what, Lesko? He didn't have that great of a playoff the year before Vasilevsky. He had like an 893. Right. And we lost that series. You know, so he had a sub-900 again against the Leafs in, in, the, in this year's playoff. But this time we were able to, you know, get into his kitchen and, and restrict his ability to see the pucks and predict the lanes. And that's exactly what Vegas did for Bobrovsky. And Bobrovsky didn't have to deal with that at all throughout all of the rounds that they played. Boston, yes, they went down 3-1 to one in mm. the series. They came back and won it. Toronto... I mean, it was pretty – the games were close, but they pretty much ran away with that yeah. one. Carolina, they swept them, even though Rod Brendamore doesn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, of course, they run into Vegas, a bit of a juggernaut. Yeah. And I think it was almost just like a, the type of scenario where the clock struck midnight for the Panthers there. It was yeah. a magical run. They were beat up. But they turned into a pumpkin. Like, especially you think about the way the Florida Panthers made it to the cup final. They were grinding. They were laying the bodies every hit. They could possibly, you know, they were mucking it up. They're grinding out. Even in the Vegas series, they were trying, you know, get their licks in whenever the score was ran up. Um, I could even throw back to Petrangelo for a potential Con Smythe vote. I don't think that would have been a wasted vote either. He was phenomenal and just proved that. Yeah, he's pretty much Hall of Fame material now. We got to figure. Oh, for right? sure. Yeah. And you know what? I mean, the- winning the cup, two different teams. Is, is a big one for me, for me, I think. The proof is in the pudding with the odds makers. I mean, even the odds makers had no idea. Like, yep. I think, I think it was they, close. I think they did have Marchessault at the top. Because he was leading, I think, in points as at well, right? Goals. Yeah. Right? And, and that's a big one, obviously. Um, so, you know, it, it, it made perfect sense to go with Marchessault. You know, the extra icing on the cake, I feel like, for Marchessault. Not that it was, you know, up to him or I don't know if he feels angry or slighted for being exposed in the expansion draft. But how about Marchessault being selected from Florida only to help dismantle Florida in the Stanley Cup final and And, win the Conn Smythe? Yeah. Same with Riley Smith scoring in that game. And those are just two great players. And it was interesting because I think uh, Marchessault had just broken out at that time uh, the season prior to the expansion draft. And Riley Smith was coming out to be a useful player as well. And then they went to Vegas and completely broke out. And if you could argue in such a way, too, like Marceau actually played in Tampa and then Florida, them going to Vegas gave them the opportunity to break out, I think, as well and show what they're made of. That's a good um, point, man, because you don't know what they would have turned into elsewhere. Yeah, or if staying they stayed, as depth yeah. pieces somewhere else. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Wild Bill Carlson, you know, another example of that. Um, He's I know probably he, still hungover. I know he probably played a, a bit more of a depth role with Vegas now as opposed to their first cup run where he was uh, their first-line center. Yeah, that's right. That. He was. And he was great then too, though. He was. Like, so he's, he's a really good utility player in the sense that you can kind of plug and play. Uh, it reminds me of Tyler Bozak, but, like, with more <clears throat> tenacity in his game. Yeah, okay. Um, in terms you, of, like, usefulness, I, I say. Did you see uh, he was getting after it, eh, at the parade? <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. A <laughs> couple of uh, good one-liners from uh, Wild Bill Carlson. They had to wrestle the microphone away from him at one point. Well, it's crazy that they, like, I don't know, that they put them in that scenario. It's almost like they should wait a little while before they do that parade. like Because they're on a heater, basically, from the night they won mm-hmm. through the parade. Like, there's no, no there's no days off there. There's no sleep. Right? Like, there's very minimal sleep. Like, those guys are, are pretty embarrassingly drunk. There's always a few of them. Like, I think it was – I always flash back to it was the Hawks. I think it was Corey, Corey Crawford, Crawford. Just like <laughs> – Fucking white as a sheet, <laughs> sitting there like you 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 look, you sympathize with them because you're like I've been there, man. But it's like not at the cup parade in front of a billion people. It's in my bathroom, slumped over the yeah. toilet. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you're lucky if it's your own bathroom. Yes, yeah. you're lucky if it's your own bathroom. Oh man! All right, listen, Yorkie is uh, hitting me up here. You want to take a fiver and get him on? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's give him a ring here. All right, folks, uh, we're very pleased and honored to be joined by our, the newest. Pucks in Deep podcast guest. It is Jason York. You can find him at Twitter at JasonYork33. Uh, you can listen to Jason right now. He's the co-host of the Coming in Hot Sends podcast. I know you guys had a show earlier this afternoon. I think it was a live one, Jason. Uh, thanks for joining the boys here on the Pucks in Deep, uh, Pucks in Deep podcast, former NHLer Jason York. Hey, no, no problem. Yeah, we, uh, we had a show earlier today. I believe it was live. We had Frank Frank Cervelli on from uh, Daily Faceoff, who was great. Uh, yeah, so I think we went for about an hour. So uh, I should still be good, though. I'm usually about a thousand words a day, and after that, I shut off. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Yeah, we won't keep you for that long. Um, I mean, I'm, unless you've got lots of stories to tell, I'm not sure. We'll find out soon <laughs> enough. But um, all good. We were just wrapping up our little convo on the. Stanley Cup final, uh, Jason. So maybe wanted to get your thoughts on that and how you how you saw that series unfolding between the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and the magical run by the Florida Panthers. Yeah, it was too bad for the Panthers because they were a great story. It seemed like they had so much momentum, but watching those last couple games, they were just completely out of gas. And then when you take Matthew Kachuk out of the lineup, with uh, I believe he was playing with a broken sternum. They just look tired, and they didn't have a lot left. But Vegas, that's the way Vegas plays. Their D are so big. They're long. They just wear you down. And they were four lines deep. I think they were the deepest team of, of any team in the NHL. If you go through top to bottom, all four lines. And they played all six of their D, too. And that's the thing with the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's a marathon. So it is. I think I think if anybody learned anything, any general managers or, or teams, it's a copycat league, right, guys? There, I think you're going to see a lot of teams trying to have at least five defensemen you can trust, and, and Vegas was just the perfect storm. They had six D, they just rolled, and and they were the team at the end of the day that was still standing. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned the Copycat League is a perfect segue to one of my questions I had on the docket here for you, uh, Jason. Was just that? Uh, are, can you anticipate you know other teams in this league 
doing something similar, not only on the defensive side of things, but you know, maybe perhaps just the the sheer aggressiveness of the Las Vegas Golden Knights kind of saying, this guy's available, we're going to get him. This guy's available, <laughs> we got him yesterday. Oh, we have to get rid of our fan favorite goaltender that everybody loves? See you later. Kick him to the curb. We got to make room for another guy. Like, Can you see any other GMs in the league kind of taking a page out of their notebook in that regard? Uh, yes and no. Because I, you gotta, I think, too, they were a little fortunate. Who knew Jack Eichel was going to bounce back from the surgery? Obviously, they did their due diligence, they and they got some uh, great people working on Eichel's neck. But a little bit of a gamble there, and, and not a lot of people were praising that trade earlier. When you look at what Buffalo got in, in return, right? You, you, with with um, like two big power forwards, uh, Alex Tuck, and my God, I'm forgetting who's the big guy that scored all the goals in Buffalo this year. Thompson. Forget for, yeah, Tage Thompson. Tage like, the Rage. Tage the rage. So at the end of the day, Buffalo is going to be a, a, a great team with those players. But, hey, it, it paid off for, for Vegas. But as far as other teams going to try and do that, it's for sure. Like, that's what happens. I think the one thing I did learn, though, watching the playoffs, guys, you, you think earlier on that, wow, they're going to start being tight. They're going to start calling stuff. So, so maybe you can get away with smaller players in the playoffs. Maybe you don't have to be a physical team. But. Uh, that proved wrong again because as it went on, Vegas they just grind. And for 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 all the people that talk about you got to carry the puck in, you got to be a puck possession team. Yeah, you do, but there there's still an onus on on chipping pucks in and and making and just wearing the other team down. And, and that's what Vegas does. Um, yeah, they carry the puck a lot, but they still like that fourth line. That fourth line is not fun to play against. That, that Vegas was rolling out, guys. Like I would not want to play against William Carrier. Mm-hmm. Every sing every single time you're on the ice, he's chipping it in and he's pounding you. So that ground and pound game still works in the playoffs. It's interesting as well because Florida kind of made it in the same regard where they were just out for checking you and were constantly in your face. And like you said, it appeared they had run out of gas at the end. And Vegas just kept they. It's like they did a better job at. at playing a similar game like I felt like they both uh, played that physical heavy in, in your face intense forechecking style but once again I think you know personnel wise uh, like you mentioned earlier Vegas was kind of built that way um, first success in the cup I wanted to ask you though what what do you think the takeaway is in terms of the goaltending situation because on one side of the ice you had Bobrovsky who you know some people were arguing almost carried the Panthers up um, and then on the other side, Aiden Hill being about, what, a fifth-string goaltender, um, just kind of managing to come out and play, I think, almost as many games as he did in the regular season and then go on a heater for a cup run. He's interesting, isn't he? Because, you know, not a lot of people play close attention to Vegas. They're, they play late at night. But Vegas regarded Aiden Hill a lot more than people give them credit for. I, I think he was making just over $2 million bucks, so... He was a pretty good backstop guy for them, just in case, you know, stash him away when you need him. So the, the, I know a lot of people are saying, yeah, he was fourth. I think he was more like their, probably their second stringer when you really look at it. But, hey, I, I didn't see him coming in and doing that. But it just goes to show you, right, uh, in today's NHL, you don't need to pay your goaltender six, $7 million. I know Bobrovsky's a, a highly paid guy, but, hey, when the playoffs started – Bobrovsky was their second string guy. They didn't trust him enough to start the playoffs with him. Uh, he got on a heater, like you said, and, and uh, played extremely well. But 
I think I think the days are kind of past us where you where you put a lot of money in that position uh, for the goaltender. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that because I was we're Leaf fans here, okay, uh, Yorkie? That's going on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah g- get your laughs out, okay? Listen, um, oh, I, I I thought. Well, what are we supposed to do here? Are we supposed to go out and get a $10 million goalie? Can we find one? Can we pay one? Uh, There's only a few. (laughs) It looked like maybe that was the the key to success, was getting yourself a $10 million goalie. But I guess not. I think it's all about team defense and structure, isn't it? Well, listen, I'll I'll give the Leafs some credit. That that series against Florida could have went either way. And it wasn't goaltending where they lost. I I don't think it was. Mm -hmm. I just, they couldn't score. Like, if you looked at chances, they were out chancing Florida. They just just couldn't score at big moments. Uh, Their big guys couldn't get it done at key moments. But it wasn't from a lack of effort. I I think in due time, things are going to change for Toronto. You'd have to think the law of averages will eventually come into play here. Yeah. But, um, I, I like their goaltending situation right now. Like I, I didn't. I, I think for once with Toronto, you can't put the blame on goaltending. I, I, I thought it was adequate enough for them to win. Yeah, I, I think so too. There. Yeah, I think so too. Listen, before we uh, we want to get onto your career here, uh, Jason. But um, I asked Les Lesko earlier in the show, and I'll ask you the same question. Um, you know, I, just call yourself a fan for the moment. As a hockey fan, uh, where are you in regards to the whole? you know, an expansion team experiencing such high levels of success so early. I know the fan bases out there are a little bit divided. You know, some of them some of them love it and some of them hate it. I'm kind of on the latter side. I don't necessarily hate it, um, but it's it's been six years. You know, you got a guy outside the uh, the Las Vegas arena holding a sign that says, I've waited six long years for this. Billy Zito <laughs> called it, though. You know, yeah, Zito did call it. So where where are you in that regard? Do you feel slighted as a hockey fan that maybe your market or another market that's been going through, uh, you know, some turbulations over all, all these years, and then all of a sudden an expansion team wins the cup? Like, where where are you with that? Well, don't forget, too, Seattle had a pretty good run, too, fellas. Right. <laughs> FC team in year two that uh, that we're like wow, you know I'll say this about the game. There's just so many players now. Like that pool of players is so much larger than it used to be. Uh, you're, you're looking at Europe. You're looking at the U.S. as a sleeping giant that's starting to wake up. So where am I in a team doing this? Well, I don't really care. Like for me, as a fan of the game, I think it's cool to see Vegas, to see the excitement to see the rank, what they're doing in there. I broadcasted a few games in Vegas uh, the last couple of years, and, man, that is some experience. Have you guys been in, have you ever, have you guys been in there live for a game yet? No, it is not, unreal. No. Unreal, fellas. Like, you get in there, it's rocking, they're live. I, I think teams just got to do a better job. Like, if you don't like it, do something about it. And, mm-hmm. and it just goes to show you. I will say this, especially Vegas, they got a huge advantage at the expansion draft. Like, yeah, they were yeah. plucking – they were plucking some great players. I think if there's some teams that maybe could be a little bit pissed off, the other expansion teams that basically had to start from scratch. Yeah. I'll put I'll put Ottawa in that mix. Yeah, for so sure. They they weren't getting those kind of players. But do you really? Here's the thing: Do you really want a team coming in and just getting pounded? Like I don't think that's good for the league either. Yeah. So I, I get it, especially if you're a Leafs fan, a Canucks fan. Uh, that, that's waited so long, but uh, my answers to that is be better. Then 
Yeah, it, it kind of proves exactly a point I made earlier is that they built this from scratch, literally. So for them to, you know, turn that yeah. team around so fast, it's like, well, why can't this team or X and, team do it, right? And don't forget too, like, I'll take Vegas again. Like, William Carlson, why wasn't he playing that good in Columbus? Mm-hmm. What, like, a lot of it's opportunity too. And, and you got to give Vegas's pro scouting department huge, huge marks. Marcia so. Carlson, Riley Smith, those are all first-day Vegas Golden Knights guys they got originally. So they did something right. Um, They knew what they were doing. And, hey, Carlson got 40 goals. A guy that – I don't know what he got in Columbus. Was it eight goals? Yeah, yeah, in fourth line. That's right. Exactly. So, And that's the other thing, too, people don't realize with with guys in the NHL. Guys that are on your fourth line were – before they got to the NHL, the best players on their teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now they they get to the NHL, and and you got to kind of change your role. And just some guys, uh, when they get to a new place like Vegas, are able to do. It. Hey, by the way, did you guys see Carlson's? I don't know if you guys saw this. Carlson completely hammered at the Vegas oh, yeah. Golden Knights party. <laughs> oh, just yeah. a beauty. Just Highlight. A beauty. He tied one on for sure. They had to wrestle the microphone away from him at one point. Oh yeah, they had the. I don't know who was on stand uh, on the uh, on the stage. One of their PR people yeah. was like, "Give me the mic, give me <laughs> the mic." Yeah, he, then they got that one sober guy who's still working up there. <laughs> yeah, he went full. <laughs> he he went full Corey Crawford there at the parade. <laughs> oh, it, was be- it was beautiful. So listen now, one one topic you mentioned a couple of players that were day one uh, Golden Knights, uh, Riley Smith and and March. So how about both of those guys getting plucked off of the Florida Panthers and then you know uh, yeah. on basically dismantling them in the Stanley Cup final and March so goes on to win the Conn Smythe as well. Last one I talked about it just a moment ago. As a player, Yorkie, are are you thinking there's maybe a little bit of fu going on there to to the Panthers or or is, or is he over it? Doesn't care. Uh, I think there's anybody that's competitive that got to the NHL, especially a guy like Marsh is so smaller guy. He's always going to have a little bit of bitterness. And I'm just, I'm just going and I'll tell you a story. For example, like I got cut from the world junior team one year. Uh, I was playing in the OHL, went to the world juniors, got cut. I was bitter like for 15 years. I'm still kind of bitter to tell you the truth. Like <laughs> I held, you, you hold a grudge cause you're pissed off. Did right? they win? It's like, um, yeah, of course they won. Canada okay, was right, always right. winning. But uh, you guys that are competitive and get slighted, you you always kind of use that to motivate you. So is Marsha Soul still thinking about that now? Probably not. Totally different GM, totally different people that made that decision. But, hey, he's got to be happy at the same time too. Like Florida has won a Stanley Cup. He's got one in his back pocket to go along with that Con Smythe uh, trophy of his. So I'd say yes, but, but it's probably uh, – not as much as people would think. Right. Uh, so uh, taking it back to your career here, Jason, we wanted to ask you, I noticed that you came up with a, a, a interesting time with the Detroit Red Wings where they were just about to peak, uh, go on, you know, a couple of years back-to-back cups. And I know you, you didn't manage to stick around for that, but I wanted to ask you what it was like coming up with that team and, and did you have any impression that they were kind of poised for greatness there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. As soon as I got traded, I'm like, I'm probably going to miss out on a couple Stanley Cups. Oh. Uh, it was it was funny, too, because when I got traded, it was a long path. Like, I finally made Detroit in my at my fourth training camp. Wow. Because I would go – I would just picture this. In early 90s, you're going to training camp, and you're competing against Nick Lidstrom, Paul Coffey, Vladimir Konstantinov. Like, these are all 
unbelievable players. Mm-hmm. Um, so so th- then you're down to the minors. You're with the first rounders, the second rounders, uh, college free agent signers, and I'm like a seventh round draft pick. So it took me a while. And when I finally, this is crazy, when I finally made the team in 1994, we got a lockout. Oh, it's yeah. Oh, right. Cancel the season. Season restarts. Uh, Scotty Bowman was then the coach. And uh, Bob Probert had gotten to some off-ice issues, and they didn't have a tough guy. So this is kind of funny. The, uh, Detroit was one of the first teams to fly private jets. So I'm, it was called Redbird One, and everybody wanted to play in Detroit. <laughs> Because you had this sick uh, private jet. So Redbird 1 takes off for San Jose. Uh, we had restarted up after the lockout in January. And the plane on the way to San Jose makes a pit stop. We land in New Jersey. And on the plane comes Vyacheslav Fetisov. Wow. Fetisov, uh, whoever you want to say it. So mm-hmm. we're all doing the math. It's trade deadlines coming up in about a week. We're like, okay, when we land in San Jose someone's getting traded. So <laughs> when, we, when we land in San Jose, Scotty Bowman calls myself, Mike Sillinger in the office. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. And so he looks at me, he's like, we're getting traded, but I'm like, come oh, on. Oh yeah. So sure enough, Fatisov comes in, I got traded to Anaheim. And then, uh, I think that year Detroit didn't win, but I think the year after they ended up winning their first cup, but yeah, they, they were a great team, and Eiserman, Lidstrom, Fedorov, and they had the Russian five after that. It, it, it's, it, it sucked not being part of that, but at the same time, when I went to Anaheim, I, I got a chance to play a ton and get my career going. Yeah, difficult lineup to crack in uh, Detroit for sure, but I, I wanted to hearken you back to your first NHL goal. I thought it was really interesting doing a little bit of homework on you, uh, Yorkie, that you buried your first NHL goal against your fellow uh, Nepean native, Freddie Braithwaite, uh, Brathwaite, or however you pronounce it, um, of, of the Oilers. Uh, that must have been pretty special to, to bury your first on, on a buddy from back home. And did you guys ever, you know, kind of have a laugh about that over a cold one or, or what? Oh, yeah. Freddie and I are good buddies. And, and I owed Freddie one, too, because when I was playing junior in Kitchener, we lost in double overtime to the Oshawa Generals. Oh. And Freddie, Freddie was the goalie for Oshawa back then. So he got, obviously, winning the Memorial Cup. It was a pretty big special thing. So Freddie would rub that into me all the time. So when I finally got my first goal, it was against Freddie, and I never let him forget it. We were, we're pretty good buddies to this day. But other interesting fact on that goal, fellas, Steve Eiserman had the first assist. Eiserman also grew up in Nepean. That's right. That's the, right. Played for the Nepean Raiders. So it was York from Eiserman on Braithwaite. But unfortunately, uh, uh, Kozlov had to jump in and ruin the uh, Nepean, <laughs> Nepean flavor. Yeah, so I, don't, got the second, I don't think Kozlov spent too much time in Nepean. <laughs> No, you know, I think uh, I, I played with I played with Kazi when he first came over in the minors. He couldn't speak a lick of English. But, uh, yeah, what a beauty! Hell of a player too. Interesting. Yeah, I had a great career. The um, you, you talked about the expansion teams earlier, obviously with with, with Vegas and you know Ottawa uh, itself as well. Um, I wanted to talk about Nashville. So you you were traded to Nashville in two thousand and three. And of course, the that's just a, a few short years removed from from their expansion. And you were on that team. Uh, I guess it was a midseason trade, and and then that team qualified for the playoffs uh, for the first team or for the first time, rather, uh, in franchise history. So I just wanted to ask you a basically blanket question: What was that like? Like being a part of an expansion team that had been in the league for a few years and then finally made the playoffs? Because I know Nashville, like 
probably not your typical hockey town, but it is now. Uh, it is a hockey yeah. town now. Uh, what was it like back in 2003 when you guys got over the hump? Unreal. And, and an unreal place to play. I, I, if you talk to anybody that's played in Nashville, it's, like it's, it's, it's their favorite spot they played. Great city, great people. Fans were and, – and back then – They'd have to announce if there was a stoppage in play. Offside, they'd tell them why there was okay. a whistle, stuff like that. <laughs> but uh, our owner back then was, was a guy by the name of Craig Leopold. Mm-hmm. And when we clinched the playoff spot, it was in Colorado. I'll never forget this. Leopold comes into the dressing room with cases of champagne. Wow. And we're celebrating, and I'm like, hey, like, this is awesome, but don't they usually bring the champagne out after like, you win the Stanley Cup? <laughs> but that's, uh, that's, how, that's how important it was for that franchise. And I'll, I'll tell you as well, that was actually the second time I had done that. When I was in Ottawa, that, I was on that Ottawa Senators team that made the playoffs for the first time as well back in 1997. Right. And doing it, like it's, it's just a, it's a crazy feeling and it's, Completely different than winning the Stanley Cup. Not that I have that feeling of winning a cup, but I'll just tell you, it's it's like a it's like a sigh of relief, and it feels so good for your fan base because it's something they have never experienced before. And when you can bring that to a city for the first time, it's an amazing feeling. I think I remember watching that first appearance. Uh, you know, us being kind of local boys, everyone was on the bandwagon with Ottawa against the uh, yeah. Buffalo, the mighty Buffalo Sabres of the 90s and the Dominator, uh, if Crazy. I recall correctly. Yeah, Do- so Dominic Hasek, backstory on that on that game, guys, that was a 0-0 hockey game right up until like the last, I forget, it was Steve Duchesne that scored, but it was like yeah. late in the, it was late in the third period, last game of the season, if we win, we're in. If we lose or tie, we're out. So 0-0 did us no good. Mm-hmm. And Hasek, Hasek back then was the best goalie on the planet. He was mm-hmm. winning he was winning MVPs, winning heart trophies, and scoring that goal. To this day, I have never heard that building louder. And I've played in it. I've broadcasted in it. It was it was it was just earth shattering. And uh, man, what an awesome feeling. Still get chills down the spine when I think about it. Wow, it's great to have those memories, and you know, you talked about uh, Nashville in 2003 and and all the champagne just for making the playoffs. Fast forward 20 years, and Lesko and I are cracking the champagne after a first round victory. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I know, I know how that feels. I, I um, you know, it's funny, Yorkie. Uh, like Leaf fans, I mean, we're kind of coast to coast, right? As you know, like yeah. we're we're abound, we're everywhere, kind of like locusts, but. Um, you know, there was a few buddies of mine that I hadn't really, I hadn't seen or chummed around with them or anything for a while. And when the Leafs won that, that game to, to, to close it out against Tampa, it was the next day we were all in my buddy's garage and we hadn't seen each other for seven or eight, nine, ten years. And there we are. And I still have the, the little tiny plastic shot glass that we poured the whiskey and it says first round champs. And, uh, you know, even though it never, uh, nothing came to fruition for the remainder of the playoffs, I I will still hold on to that shot glass fondly. As you mentioned, it's not necessarily like chills down my spine type of feeling, but it was a good feeling. I'll just leave it at that. 
what was the drink of choice after that first round? What did you guys celebrate with? Was it a shot? What kind of shots were you guys doing? I was in Montreal smashing whiskey sours at some Hispanic Whiskey? Bar. You're a whiskey sour guy? Come on. I'm not really. Generally, it's just I went to this bar and it was on the menu and they turned out to be like some of the better ones I had in years. So I just went with it. Mine was a classic bottom shelf Weiser's uh, Yorkie. Is that, nice. does that pass it, pass it for you or oh, what? Oh yeah. I'm just staring. I'm, I'm sitting in my family room right now and I have a bar. I'm just staring down a bottle of whiskey right now. I'm a, I'm an old fashioned guy. I, uh, Oh yeah. I like it. I like a good old fashioned, get the little bourbon in there, little bitters, but that's my drink of choice right now. But no, I get solid choices. Whiskey sour. Like it. My sister makes unbelievable whiskey sour, by the way. Uh, it's an art form, uh, but yep. yeah, I'm, 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 I'm an old-fashioned type of guy. It's rare that you find someone who can make it right. So when I found someone who did it right, I'm like, I'll take six more. <laughs> I'll take six <laughs> <Yeah>. more. <laughs> hey, so, well, I got to appreciate you guys. So Leafs fans, you guys take a lot of shit. You take a lot of crap. But there's one thing. You guys are true to your team. That's right. And uh, You guys are true to your team because there's so many bandwagon guys out there. There's so many people that – uh, win or lose, as long as you win, they're with you. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta. I gotta give a little shout out to Leafs fans. They uh, they stick with their team. Well, yeah. thank you very much, Yorkie. I can so do I speak for Lesko when I say we appreciate that. I'm sure. Um, the one thing that I've always said to you know friends and and acquaintances and well random people alike is that for 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 the lack of winning that the team has for so long, yet somehow some way they are still the most fun team to cheer for. And I don't, really know, I don't really know why that is because you would think the most fun team to cheer for would be the team that wins a lot. Tampa you know, Bay. Tampa, Pittsburgh, Chicago, Boston. Like, but no, I think it's the Leafs. And I, I feel like if I had to try and put a reason on it right now as I'm just spiraling out of control, it would be that it's because we're hated so much. And yes. it's like, it's like, okay, but, but here's the thing. You hate the Leafs so badly, but they don't even win, man. Like we, we <laughs> what is there to hate? We, we don't even win. And it's like, everyone just loves to hate the team and then they lose. And everyone's like, oh yeah, this is the friggin' best man. Leafs losing is the best day of my life. And it's like, okay, but at some point, you know can you not is? take a break? Do you know what it is guys? It's people that live outside of Toronto and have their own teams. And this is something, because I worked in the broadcast industry, Toronto, the Toronto Maple Leafs just drive, they drive the needle so much for, mm -hmm. for, for advertising, for broadcasting. So what pisses off other fans is when they're watching their home broadcast, the broadcasters are still talking about the Leafs. Yeah. And, that drives, and, but, and that drives people nuts. Your mm -hmm. team wins, yet they're talking about what Austin Matthews had for breakfast. Yeah. Just, <laughs> no that, doubt. That's, that's what drives people completely bonkers. Um, and, and myself being on both sides of it, living in Ottawa and then I, and also working in Toronto for sports Center for so many years, right. It's, it sells the Leafs sell. And that's, and at the end of the day, hockey's a business broadcasting's a business, but that's to me, that's why people have a large disdain for the Leafs. It's because they're always interrupting their local broadcasts. Absolutely. Keep it topical on the Leafs and Sens here. Um, you did play for a couple of really up-and-coming Sens teams, some great Sens teams, I would argue, in the in 99, 2000, around there, but yet somehow managed to lose in one of those years that you guys were top of the league, I believe, and got swept by the Maple Leafs. Ooh. I just, I did, I like, sorry to bring that up, and we're not throwing shade here, but I did want to ask you about that because 
I found that Ottawa team, and I actually draw comparisons to the, the early 2000 Senators do I do to the Maple Leafs and just being a, yeah. a world-class regular season team with tons of talent that can't find a way to get it done in the playoffs. So I just want to get your opinion on that. We were very soft like the Leafs. <laughs> That's the simple answer, soft. right? That is a simple answer. I'm surprised you didn't it's, hang up on us last week. <laughs> Jesus, Murphy. Well, listen, it took me a long time to get over that. That series in particular, guys, is very painful. Because now that I'm retired uh, and you don't get paid anymore, you're not getting those big NHL salaries, mm-hmm. that cost me a lot of money, that series. <laughs> because I was an unrestricted free agent oh, yeah. that summer. Coming oh, off a sweep. When, when you were 31 years old, uh, I was a pretty good defenseman at the time. I was considered a top four guy. But when you're 31, teams want a guy that's coming from a winning team. Mm-hmm. And when you get swept for a straight, probably going to cost you a few million dollars in salary the next year. And then so it did, but Hey, I ended up back in Anaheim. You know, what's funny too. My agent had called me that summer speaking of the Leafs and the Leafs were actually interested. And I was like, wow, uh, I'm going to go to Toronto, which I didn't mind. But my mom was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to cheer for you. She was, she was a huge, like she like growing up in Ottawa. A lot of Montreal Canadian fans here back then. My parents loved the Habs. So, anyhow, I'm sure once I got there, if it would have happened, she would have been fine, but it was funny. Uh, but that was the year Toronto ended up signing McGillney in the summer. Yep. I think he ended up signing for $5 million a year, which was mm-hmm. big money back then. Mm-hmm. So, my agent, my agent at the time, Pat Morris, calls me. He's like, Yeah, you're not going to the Leafs. They spent all their money on, McGill- on McGillney. So, yep. we're going to we're gonna have to go plan B. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting answer because you know if you would have asked me all those years ago, I probably would have had a similar feeling, um, just in the answer of being soft, because uh, those Maple Leafs teams were known for not being that talented. Just would beat the piss out of you though in a series. Just had so many guys that felt like they laid their life on the line, and I feel like we see a lack of that from the teams today. Or you might even argue in the NHL in general, those types of guys don't seem to exist and then with maybe someone has to do with the shift away from physicality into speed and skill perhaps. Yeah. Like you look at what Florida did and uh, and a guy like me that I really took notice of in the playoffs. Cause we all talked about Matthew Kachuk. We talked about Verhage, uh for the Florida Panthers. I love Sam Bennett. Like yep. if I was, if I was looking for the type of player that the Toronto Maple Leafs or any team that's trying to get to the next level, that's the type of guy I'm targeting. He should, <laughs> he should be in oh, jail. He should be in jail, Yorkie. He he was bullying Toronto guys out there. It was well, crazy. But uh, anyhow, he's the, those are still the guys in the playoffs. Because round one, they call it tight. Round two, not as tight. By round three, round four, you can pretty well do it. Oh, yeah. On out there. As long as you don't two-hand a guy like over your head like Petrangelo did. But, <laughs> but he still only cost him a couple games, right? <laughs> Yeah, but you gotta call that. But yes, you're getting you're getting away with a lot more stuff. And and you watch Bennett; he just finishes every single hit. And, you know that just wears you down. Uh, but man, he, guys like that are tough to find. They're few and far between in the league these days. Uh, all right, Yorkie. Listen, we only got you for a few more minutes here, but I really wanted to get your take on a couple of things before we let you go. Sure. Um, your 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 move to media is one, and the other one is the uh, the the sale of the senators. So um, let's let's tackle the latter first. Um, you know, sure. you you must have your finger on the pulse. Like, can you give us a little bit of a breakdown? We had Ian Mendez on the show back in December, okay? And when we oh. had Ian on the show in December. 
he told us that basically as soon as the calendar flips, we're going to have a sale. It'll be February, <laughs> maybe March yeah. at the very latest. And then all of a sudden, everything just started to implode. I mean, without going too, too long on it, uh, Yorkie, what, what's your take? What happened there that went sideways with all these different bids and, and everything? I just think I thought it was going to get done. Like I thought it would get done in March. Um, but I just think there was way more interested, more interested parties in the team than, than anybody thought, including the brokers that were taking care of the deal for the Melnick daughters. So it just, it got out of control. Um, they got a bidding war going and then they just kept drawing it out and drawing it out. Uh, but here's what, at the end of the day, Michael Adlauer, uh, who also owns part of Montreal Canadians, who's going to have to, sell his share before he gets uh, full control of the Ottawa Senators. Right. The right guy got it. The right guy got it. And and um, he's going to come in here and do wonders. But it just, it was a frustrating process for the fans, frustrating process for the media. And I'm sure it was frustrating for all the guys that were in on the bids. Like so many groups and there was so much, din- there was so much good information, so much disinformation. Right. Uh, from what I heard from people was, this is a process that has never been seen before where there were really no rules. Like it's different. You, you sell your house, there's some rules uh, with as far as the real estate board and, and things you're allowed to do and things you're not allowed to do, but there were really no rules here. It was like nobody knew when it was going to end. And then when it finally did end just last week, it was just finally, like people were just sick and tired of hearing about it. But uh, the reason it dragged on was just way more people came to the table than I think even the NHL thought. And once they had, I think it was at one time five or six parties, they said, you know what, we're going to draw this out and squeeze out as much money as we can. And why wouldn't you? Because it, because at the end of the day, Gary Batman works for the 32 teams in the National Hockey League. So he is going to try and sell the Ottawa Senators. And even though it's not him, it's it's he's still proud of the process. Because right. now... Now the bar has been set. The Ottawa Senators are sold for $950 million roughly. So what does that make the New York Rangers worth, the Montreal Canadiens, the Toronto yep. Maple Leafs? Every, everybody's franchise value just went through the roof mm-hmm. after the Ottawa Senators just went for nine fifty. But I think you're so right about the lack of rules too, Yorkie, because I, I'm pretty sure I saw Nico Sparks outside the Lac de Limi uh, asking for extra money to <laughs> get the bid up. You know, it was pretty there were so many rumors. There were so many rumors, and I had talked to people too that were getting calls, and and who knows what was true or what was. I was just the, the joke here in Ottawa was like, okay. Which celebrity is now going to be named as part of the Nico Sparks group? But right. uh, I'll, I'll say this: Nico Sparks came in with a real nice comment after uh, after Michael Landlauer bought the team. was was real classy, and uh, I, I don't know Nico Sparks. Never talked to him, but it was just very strange. The whole process, uh, very strange, and uh, completely, completely lasted way too long. Yeah, that was crazy. Um, all right, last one here for you, Yorkie. Uh, your move to the media. So I, I always like to pick the brains of you know former players who have made the move to the booth or or to the mic. Uh, in your case, is it something that you know you players? Uh, yeah, I guess you can just speak for yourself, Yorkie. But is it something that you always kind of considered, or was it something that just kind of sprung to you or was presented to you later in life? And lastly, um, I see that. You completed the NHLPA Life After Hockey broadcasting program. 
I didn't yeah, even I, did. I didn't know that that existed. And as a part of your response, maybe if you don't mind, uh, you know, letting us know exactly what that program is all about. So I'll tell you one. First off, the mistake a lot of guys make. Okay, so unless you're Wayne Gretzky, or I'll take Biz for example. No one's going to come knock on your door and give you a job. Right. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. And the problem with guys that play pro hockey is when you're in that pro hockey bubble, everything's done for you. Everything's given to you. You don't really have to think about anything besides hockey. So when you're done, you're standing there, and, and, and if you're lucky enough, you got enough money where you don't have to, to worry. But for a lot of guys, they don't. And then, and then that's when they get into trouble. Like, what am I going to do? What, what's my life going to be like? What's my purpose going to be? When I was playing my last year in Boston, uh, I just, you know what? I'm not going to be that guy when I'm done that is sitting there with my pants down wondering what I'm going to do. So I said, I uh, talked to a couple guys. I knew some people in the PA. I was always the, uh, the, the representative for my team, like NHLPA rep. Mm-hmm. And, I knew, and I knew they had this program. So basically what they did, I signed up for it. And it was the first time they ever offered it. It was me and about 10 other guys. Billy Radford was doing it. Glenn Anderson, Gary Volk, a bunch of ex-pros. There was like 12 of us. Went to Quinnipiac University, and it was, a, it was like a week intense long broadcasting workshop uh, that was like nine hours a day, and they put you in the most uncomfortable positions. Uh, you had to go interview a guy. Uh, we had to go to an independent league baseball game, so below AAA baseball and do color commentating for an independent league baseball game for two innings each. I try doing that, and you're like, man, I am not very good at this. And So anyhow. <laughs> I did this for I did this for a week just to get some experience, and then that summer, I went and I did five public speaking courses as well, which were tough, but really helped me get out of my comfort zone as well. And then locally here in Ottawa, back then they had uh, the Team Twelve Hundred, which soon became TSN Twelve Hundred. Yep. I I contacted them and I got on the radio part time. Uh, did part time for like filling in for guys for a couple of years. Then I started my own show like a couple of years later and then reached out to Sportsnet and asked if they needed a guy, got on between periods. And I did like, I did little things too. Like nothing was given to me. I went in to the local channel seven news and would go on an after game call in show, uh, would, would do any interview anytime. Just, I was told at this workshop, anytime you can get in front of the camera, do it because you need reps. It'll make you better. And for my, when I finally got a color commentating job in Montreal, I was doing uh, the Sportsnet broadcast. I was brutal for the first probably two years. I, I went back and listened to my stuff. I'm like, holy shit, I am terrible. <laughs> but that's why, like, you see so many pros come on TV right away. And most guys aren't that good yeah. because, like anything, it, it takes reps. You got to do it. And I was a little better than most at first, but I still sucked. And uh, I stuck with it and kept doing it and did it for about 10, 12 years. And it was, a, it was a ton of fun. That's really cool. So it's not necessarily like you were, you know, I, I, maybe I use like Paul Bissonette, like you referred to, or even like a PK Subban, like guys yeah. that you can look at them during their playing days while they're still playing. You Something can say, yeah, this guy's got a seat, uh, you know, on a panel. Uh, waiting for him. So it sounds like that wasn't necessarily the the case for you, Yorkie, but you you worked on it. You were dedicated. You wanted to do it, and you chased it down. So I think that's really cool. Good for you, man. I think that's awesome. Well, well, let's be honest here. Jason York's not a household name. So 
you, when he you was in the Ottawa Valley. Yeah, you are here. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, well, exactly. But the, like, the, the, I love Ottawa. It's a great city. Ottawa is a lot smaller than Toronto. Like, here's the thing: if you live in Toronto, you played for the Leafs, you're getting a way better chance of getting a job yeah. in media. You're set for life there. Well, versus your place, just the way it is, because the market's so much bigger there, and there's more exposure. Um, so hey, you gotta work at it, and and uh, I did. I'm glad I did it. But that's like anything in life, guys. You guys know this. You gotta work if you want anything hard enough. You gotta do it. You gotta work at it. And that was kind of my mo. Like I wasn't. It took me four years to make the NHL. Uh, went to one draft. I went to the draft when I was my draft year. Sat there, didn't get picked. Went home. Went back, battled two more years, and then junior finally got picked. Uh, went to three training camps. Some takes some guys a little longer, but it's it's all that much sweeter when you make it. But it's uh, you know it's a good lesson if you got to work for something that makes you appreciate it that much more. Yeah, for sure. And you know the the two innings of uh, rec league baseball as color. I know I know that probably I know that probably didn't seem like the greatest for you, but as a as a broadcaster myself. The, the moment you said that, I was like, "Oh, I would have had fun. I would have had great time doing that." Uh, right? I know, I know you sure. spent you spent some time uh, involved with the Kempville Seventy Threes here in the CCHL, and and that's the league that I call games for. So I'm on uh, I'm on hockey awesome. TV uh, calling team, games. What, what uh, the Lumber Kings, the Crown Jewel. Come on, Crown Jewel oh, here. Yeah. What a ray! What a rake! What a rake! <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's the league I came out of, guys. The CCHL. That's I right. The Smithball. I played for the Smith Falls Bears, and uh, so when I when I went back and bought the Kempville 73s five years ago, it was such a cool experience going back there. Still, like, one of the most favorite times of my life. When you work with, with young guys that age, it's so much fun. It's so rewarding. I actually miss it. I really miss it because it's, it's, it's kids at an age where they're trying to get to the next level. And uh, it's rewarding to do something on a daily basis when you're trying to help young guys get to the next level. Yeah, and the the drive is is there for these young men. And I mean the the quality of player Yorkie. Uh, I mean, obviously, I wasn't around in the '80s and early '90s to watch the the. Well, back then it was the CJHL, but I mean the quality of player coming through now and the likelihood of these players to be you know drafted to higher leagues and and someday maybe the NHL like. It, it's a great league, man. And listen, if you're ever in the if you're ever in the barn at the PMC, you come and see us in the in the booth, man. I got a mic for you. Come up and do a couple periods with you. Okay, I'll take you up on that. Chances hey. of me coming to coming to Pembroke, not great. But if I do, <laughs> <laughs> if I do, I will jump up there with you for sure. Anytime, man. Anytime. Listen, before we before we hang up the phone with you, I wanted to ask you about the 2005 Spangler Cup. Give us a story. Oh. Give us a oh, there we go. Give, <laughs> give us a story from the Spangler Cup that you probably shouldn't say on the radio. How about that? I'll give you a better story from my year in Switzerland. <laughs> the, the Spangler Cup, man, it's kind of boring for the players because you play every single day. But the reason I played in the Spangler Cup that year is because I was playing in in Lugano in the Swiss League. Yep. So, so my Swiss League team ended up winning the championship that year. One of the best years of my life, by the way. We got down in the first round of our playoffs, 2 nothing to the other team. They fired our coach during what? the playoffs. What? Fired wow. our coach. And if you guys are, you guys are familiar with, with European hockey, after every game, you see NHL teams do this now. You salute your fans. Yeah. That, yeah. Came, from, that, that came from Europe. So we got chased out of our own rink after losing game two at home. And we went down three games nothing, no coach, had to bring a new coach in. 
for the rest of the playoffs, we refused to salute our fans. And I remember last game of the, of the uh, championship team there, we ended up winning. I forget what game it was, but I, I've never been in a situation like this. The entire, it was like a soccer crowd. They just stormed the ice after the game. <laughs> I got this really, really cool picture in my office that you win this Stanley Cup over there. It's not called the Stanley Cup. I don't know what it's called, but it's this big blue trophy. And I'm holding this big blue trophy over my head, and I'm surrounded by about 2,000 crazy, irate soccer fans, but are <laughs> hockey fans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I've never experienced that kind of excitement uh, and craziness. Like, honestly, guys, our goalie, after game two, they chased him out of the rink. This is our own fans. <laughs> and he drove, he, he's driving his scooter out of the rink, and he's getting, like, apples whipped at him. Oh, wow. Fruit. And he's running for he's running for his wife because his old his own fans are chasing him down. But these fans became our friends after we won. And uh, man, I could t- I got some stories I could tell off that team. Some I can tell on the air, some I can't. But uh, what what a, what a great experience! I'm so glad I played in that league for one year. It was so much fun. Wow, that's really exciting, man. Well, listen, we'll have to we'll have to take you up on that promise for uh, maybe next time we have you on here on the Pucks and D podcast, Yorkie. Okay, guys. Lots of fun. Really enjoyed it. Hey, man. Anytime. Thanks for coming on. That's Jason York. Follow him on Twitter at JasonYork33 and catch him co-hosting the Coming In Hot Sense podcast. Thanks again, uh, Yorkie. We'll talk to you soon, man. Take care, guys. You too. All right, folks. Well, there he goes. Jason York. Guys got some stories. They got some stories for sure. Teasing, teasing the next appearance, I guess. But uh, teasing the Leafs as well. Yeah, of course, of course. (laughs) I mean, expect that from our Ottawa guys, and uh, respect that. Um, Yeah, great, great guest, and I always loved talking to guys from the played in the '90s, and you know, he's just talking about playing, going to camp with guys like Kozlov and Fedorov, and you know, all these legends. the crossover with all these legends, I find, is just fascinating. Well, it was such a different game then than it yeah. is now. And, of course, listen, do you well, think— That was the golden age of our, like, our fandom, you might say, when you were a kid and you had all the time in the world and you know lived hockey. No and, responsibility outside of making sure you watch the game tonight. Well, you know, he mentioned—it <laughs> was interesting. He mentioned that, that series against uh, uh, Buffalo when they first made the playoffs, and I remember that. I actually remember being at the friggin' Knights of Columbus Hall— with our hockey team, like our Adam House League hockey team, watching the game on the little TV behind the bar <laughs> okay. at our like team like end of year party, party or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. I remember that game being on while that was going on, and it was like a late going into overtime type scenario there uh, against the Buffalo Sabers. So it, it definitely takes me back, and of course I remember him playing. Um, you know, at that age too, especially follow Ottawa a bit more closely at that time. Yeah, he, uh, when you're a kid, he had a pretty interesting career. Like, you know, I mean, basically just as we as we discussed with him, like you know, being a part of a couple of different expansion franchises that uh, were successful eventually in, mm-hmm. in in making the playoffs. Not not like Vegas being successful immediately, but yeah, like I said, it's a different. It was a different game back then, and I agree wholeheartedly with you that it. It's really awesome to talk to those guys about their experiences in the league back then, in the late 80s, early 90s. Like, you think you and I would have a great time talking to Austin Matthews or or Phil Kessel? Of course. Like, it'd be our biggest interview ever if we could get those guys. But at the same time, it's a different game now. I think it's equally as fun, if not more so, to kind of throw it back to, to the olden days and talk to those guys about, how life was, you know, back in, in the nineties. And it was difficult. I think it was more difficult for, 
Yeah, like, I guess, what am I trying to say? Like, it's more difficult now, I think, to crack the NHL because of the sheer volume of, of, of players that mm-hmm. want to play. But at the same time, I feel like maybe it may have been more difficult to crack the lineup back then because you had you had your veterans in the league back then that played until they were, you know, in their mid to late 30s. And you it's kind of not the case anymore. Yeah, you can kind of argue just based on the sheer physicality of the league That's back it. then. The size of the average size of the players, you know, all that has trended in a different direction it was tougher. since those times. So, yeah, the league was definitely a much tougher place. So it's like, you know, if you're... It's the old saying, you're in the National League now, bud. Like, that kind of era of hockey, for sure. You're in the National now, bud. Oh, boy. All right. Well, listen, do we have anything else? I think that's it for today. Good show. See you next year, folks. Yeah. I think that's it, eh? What did I say? The last show of the 2022-2023 season. Have a nice summer. Have a beer for us. We're not going to come back. Right, we're not we're not coming. Well, I mean, back. it would we're... take something pretty drastic. I mean, if, if shit gets hairy, like we see some major moving and shaking, perhaps there could be some random emergency pods. But so far, nothing planned. So, okay, that's fair. I like that. You know, draft day. Who knows? It sounds like it's going to be a very active off season, and if everyone's inspired by Vegas, we could see some crazy shit. What would qualify an emergency pod? Well, a core four. Or yeah. Alteration, probably. Yeah. Not Keith, though. You know. And I don't think Keith's going anywhere. It sounds, by all accounts, Sheldon's here to stay. So it sounds like they're even talking extensions right now. Which, listen, of course, as you know, I'm super biased. We I, are big Keith biased. I love here. the guy. I, I, But I am a little surprised. I can text him. Okay. I'm a, I'm a little surprised that he's sticking around. I think we, you know, we mentioned on the previous show that we all thought that he was potentially the one to fall on the sword. Yeah, but I'll tell you, here's why. Here's why it's not surprising. Why would Trey Living burn a bullet? Yes, that's correct. Keep so that you in your pocket. Keep it in your pocket because if things aren't going well in a year or two, boom, fire Keith. That's my first bullet, you know? Yep. So it makes perfect sense that's to your me why he'll be back. Shit the bed in October and play the card in November if sure. things get dire. Yeah, sure. All right, we don't folks. get there. All right, folks. Well, that's it. Episode 112 in the books for the Pucks and D podcast. Big thanks to our guest, this evening, Jason York, former NHLer and current beauty. Jason York, at Jason York 33, co-host of the Coming In Hot Sends podcast. That's it. You can follow us on Twitter, at Coleman42 for myself, at Lesko Adam for the sharply dressed man across the bar. Came here straight from work. So would you get home and have some dinner? Yeah. I All could right. use another beer and change my clothes. All right, Short folks. Together. Episode 113 coming at you whenever we get around to it. It's been a great season. Thanks for tuning in as always, and we'll see you when we see you.